Uh, we're going to be pivoting after tonight, uh, and we're no longer going to be looking at the doctrine of Scripture. We're going to be looking at the doctrine of God, I believe, is what comes next. Who is God? What is He like? Uh, how can we speak of Him truly, although we can never really comprehend Him? Uh, we can never fully know everything, and that is, exa- that is actually where worship exists. We can't, we can't worship a God that we can't, that we can't speak true things of. We have to be able to know what is true of Him. But we also don't worship the things that we fully understand, right? There's a little bit of mystery. So God exists right in the middle of those two. We can say true things about Him, but we can never understand everything about Him fully, right? There is mystery because He is transcendent. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We'll look to that uh, beginning next time around in our dose of doctrine. But tonight, we're looking at the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. In weeks past, we talked about the inerrancy of Scripture. We talked about how uh, there are no errors in the Bible, at least in the way uh, that we might commonly understand that term. Everything that the Scriptures affirm uh, is true. We have a trustworthy word from God. But the issue is once, once we get past that hurdle, it's possible to have a Bible with no errors that you still don't believe is any good, right? In other words, it's possible to have a Bible you believe is perfect, to have a, perfect, a perfectly preserved Word of God that you're not really acting on, right? We can have an inerrant Bible that we don't believe is sufficient, that we don't believe is enough, that we don't believe uh, gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so, we have to understand, what is this teaching about the sufficiency of Scripture? What is Scripture sufficient for? What, um, what areas does it address sufficiently? Uh, and I've got a little introductory uh, sentence up at the top. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to read that. Like clarity, right? Remember when we, when, we, when we were talking about how the Scriptures are clear, many points in the Scriptures are difficult to understand. But everything that we need to know to follow God and to obey Him has been revealed clearly. Right? We're, not, we're not at a loss for how do we come to Jesus in salvation. That is so clearly propounded in Scripture that it's, it's not muddy to us. Uh, How we are to obey God, how we are to relate to our neighbor, how we are to uh, live lives that are growing in sanctification, growing in likeness to Christ. These things are so clearly taught in Scripture, we don't have any questions about what God's mind is on those things. So like clarity, sufficiency deals with ethical matters. In other words, if Scripture is not clear... Or if Scripture is not sufficient, if it's not enough, then Scripture cannot be obeyed or trusted to lead us into all that we need to know, right? If Scripture is not enough, if we need an extra word from God, if we need something in addition to what is in the Bible, then we can have no confidence that we know everything that we need to know to obey God if we're waiting on some extra words from Him, in other words. But the Scriptures, uh, I believe, and I will teach tonight, are sufficient. I need to give you a little warning. Um, there's going to be some things that I'm going to say on the, on the second page uh, that, that faithful folks can disagree on, but 
I owe you uh, what I believe, and so I'm going to try to make a case, and uh, we can, there's certainly an open-handed issue, but I'm going to try to persuade you um, against some things that I think are dangerous. But that comes later. I know you're all interested now, flipping over to the back. What is, what is Pastor Greg going to get into? It sounds juicy. Well, that's just like the to be continued. What if I, I bet you if I get down to the bottom of the page right here and stop, it'll make Wayne happy and everybody else will be like, he didn't get to the juicy stuff, right? Wayne's ready, Wayne's ready to go home after page one. All right. Here's what sufficiency is defined. I've given you a couple of definitions. The first one is from the Baptist Confession of Faith. This is uh, 1689. That's what the Baptist back in 1689 said. The whole counsel of God, right? This is where Brother Greg preaches expositorily through the Bible. This is why I believe in this, because I want to give us, I want to present the Bible the same way the Bible writers presented it to their people, right? That's why I preach through all of Philippians instead of Philippians 2 today and 1 Kings next week and Psalm 36, the following one, which that all has its place and it has value and the Lord will use every teaching of his scripture. But I want to give us the whole counsel of God's word as best I can so that we don't miss anything. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory. In other words, that's the reason we're here. That's what we can expect the Bible to treat. Everything necessary for God's own glory, for man's salvation, for faith and life, right, is these things are either expressly set down, they're either taught, like thus saith the Lord, they're either expressly set down or necessarily contained. In other words, either you will arrive at these things through a knowledge of the Scriptures and of the mind of God revealed in the Scriptures. They're either expressly set down, in other words, said word for word, or necessarily contained, taught in the Bible, in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Most of the errors that have crept into the church have crept in under the banner of a new revelation of the Spirit or under the banner of the traditions of men. Those are the two ditches we have to watch out for. Here's another definition. It's Wayne Grudem, uh, uh, who, who I think is good for a lot of matters. I'm probably going to actually depart from him a little bit in the doctrine of God because I actually think, I think he gets the Trinity wrong. So we got to be careful about that one. Got to watch out, right? All right. Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. In other words, you think about it. The people who were walking in the wilderness with Moses, the believers who were going back to the temple with, uh, going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple with Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the believers who lived in the time of Malachi right before the New Testament, they all had less than we do now, right? We have the benefit of all of the New Testament. But at each stage before the Mosaic Covenant, before uh, the restoration of the temple, before the New Testament, during the New Testament period, and then after the New Testament. Now, all of God's people had everything that they needed to obey God at that time. Now, I'm thankful that I live now and not then. 
We have the benefit of the New Testament. We have the benefit of living on this side of the cross. But the people who lived before we did did not have less than they need. They had, it, they had everything that God intended for them to have at the moment that they were in. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that it now contains everything we need God to tell us for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. That's what Wayne Grudem says. Here's what this means, the best, best I can summarize it. We have everything we need to know God and to come to Him in repentance and faith. The scope or emphasis of Scripture comes into view here. In other words, if the Bible is a book about anything, it's a book about how to know God right? It might not be a book about how to change a spare tire. That doesn't mean the Bible is not sufficient for life. It means that the scope of Scripture, the emphasis of Scripture tells us what the Bible is sufficient for. It's sufficient for life and godliness. Uh, If it speaks to anything, uh, yeah, I just said this in other words, it certainly speaks to matters of our condition and sin, Jesus as Savior, and how to come to know Christ in faith. Romans chapter 10 tells us this. Here's another point. We have everything we need to know how to obey God and live fruitfully in the world He created. In other words, 2 Peter 1.3 says, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. What this means is that Scripture usually offers more than we are tempted to think that it does. Scripture usually has more insight into our current problems and our current trials and our current situations. It usually says more than we're tempted to think. The problem for most of us is not that God hasn't provided enough in the Bible, but that we don't know the Bible well enough to know where to get what He has given us, if we're just being quite honest with ourselves. Here's number three. It gives us all we need to know for life and God. It's either expressly set down or necessarily contained. In other words, Scripture has words and it has a logic to it. I try to make this case every Sunday night when we go through... Um, the Old Testament, to show that this isn't just, there aren't 66 different stories. There is one story told in all 66 books. Uh, and And I hope that that becomes incredibly clear. Here's why this matters. We live during a time period during which we are all reeling from the effects of theological liberalism. If you ever study church history historical theology, and you get to the 20th century, the 20th century is like the most discouraging point, like the one that we are just now emerging from, okay? Because there were so many retreats and so many revisions and so much just basically man trying to be autonomous and trying to stand in judgment of God that there wasn't a lot there. Now, we are children of that century, And you could argue 19th and 20th centuries were just not highlights in theological doctrine. Of course, when I'm talking, when I use the word liberalism here, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about what folks believed about God and about the Bible. I'm going to try to describe what this means theological liberalism. 
at its base, theological liberalism, thought it sought to replace God as the object of study and replace it with man. This phrase became popular. The proper study of God is man. If you want to know what God is like, study man. Well, friends, this is profound, but it's exactly backward. If you want to know what man is like, study God, in other words, right? So this, this theological liberalism that, that came to prominence in the 19th and 20th centuries, it took the focus off who God is and what He has revealed about Himself, and it put the focus on man. What does man think? What is man feeling? What does man feel about God? Not what has God said about Himself. That is essentially theological liberalism in a nutshell. There's a man, F.D.E. Schleiermacher. I don't know what the D and the E stand for, but the F stands for Frederick or Friedrich uh, Schleiermacher. You always got to watch. You got to watch the Germans in the 19th and 20th centuries. They seem to be the ones that were, I don't know, uh, taking us down down some bad roads. Um, in, in more ways than theological, I guess. F.D.E. Schleiermacher, the father of theological liberalism and the father of modern theology, has also been called. He said that basically this, the sum of the Christian life is this, the feeling of absolute dependence. See what's at the center there? The feeling of feeling. What do you feel like? How do you feel like God is. What do you feel God is? I was chastised in college for ever using the word feel in a paper or in a, or in a, a debate. Well, I feel that well, it doesn't really matter what you feel, right? What you feel does not ha- necessarily have any bearing on who God is, on truth. Um, so, now we can, uh, of course, our, our feelings matter to God. We are creatures created by Him with, with, uh, with senses, uh, but we should not look inward to ourselves to determine what is true of God. God has spoken sufficiently about who He is. He's given us these things. Here's what uh, this feeling of absolute dependence gave rise to. Focus on feelings over truth. In other words... The focus is not on God anymore. The focus is on man. What does man think? Not what has God said. Focus on our interpretation instead of God's revelation. In other words, if you ever heard heard someone ask the question, what does this passage of the Bible mean to you? Right? Well, that's a good question as long as you leave off the last two words of the question. The question is, what does the passage of the Bible mean? Not what does it mean to you? Because if you know, well, it could mean something to you and something to you and something to you and something to me. And who's right, right? It's just your interpretation. We're not looking for what does the Bible mean to you. We're looking for what does it mean. Try to get to the root of those things. And this is where we get to the third bullet point. Reader response over authorial intent. In other words, I believe the proper way to study the Bible, and I think the Bible... Uh, teaches this itself, if it is a revelation from God, we should be interested in what the author intended, not what we would like for it to mean, not what we think we see in it. 
What does it say? What is the text trying to tell us? Let's get into the text. Let's do some good hermeneutics. These words we talked about last week. Let's do some good hermeneutics. Let's do some good exegesis. And let's see what the author intended. The the main author, of course, being God. Working through the inspiration of the human writers. Man became the sinner. His thoughts, his feelings, his will. Not God's thoughts, God's decrees, and God's will. So, that's why this matters. Scriptures are sufficient. Here's how sufficiency is being challenged today. What are the inroads that I would say the enemy is trying to make to undermine our belief or our confidence that the Scriptures are enough for us to know how to live fruitfully? Well, there's a culture of autonomy. There's a culture of what I think, this, this risen out of this theological liberalism of the last 200 years, you hear phrases like this, well, the God I serve wouldn't do blank. In other words, not God as I think that He is. Well, He would not do this. Tim Keller and perhaps others have said, I think, well, they've said, if your God never disagrees with you, you're probably not worshiping God. You're probably just worshiping an idealized view of yourself. Friends, God disagrees with me all the time. And the goal of my life is to try to bring myself in alignment with Him, not to try to make Him say what I would prefer Him to say. Kind of places us in the judge's seat. Secondly, there's the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement has put this emphasis on personal revelation. I have a word from the Lord, you hear folks say, or, or these prophecies. I've told you of an experience I had in college where someone, you know, Christian colleges, you know, or, uh, kind of breed all kinds of interesting things on the campus from time to time. But, um, but I had someone prophesy over me, prophesy a word from the Lord over, over me at one point in time. The, the charismatic movement has de-emphasized what the Bible has said and that it has said enough and that it is complete and finished. The charismatic movement has emphasized personal feelings and new revelations, perhaps. New revelations from God. Remember what the Baptist Confession of Faith said in 1689? Nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Got to be careful about those things because we are sinners And even if we think we have a word from the Lord, we have an incredible capacity to get it wrong, right? I don't don't distrust God's ability to speak. I just distrust my own ability to understand or to perhaps be a mouthpiece of Him. That's why we place our confidence in what He has said. And then thirdly, there's another challenge to sufficiency today. And it is just kind of this emotionally driven evangelicalism that we are all influenced by because we're a part of it, right? I am a child of the evangelical movement, and it has been said, we feel very deeply, but sometimes we think not at all. We feel very deeply. One prominent Christian devotional writer, and I will not name this person, has disclosed that her devotion books that are bestsellers... They are the collections of messages that she receives directly from God. She writes them down in the first person. In other words, she speaks on behalf of God. These devotions say, 
They are as if they are written from God in the first person. Friends, this is incredibly strange. And she published them as, as words for her readers. Here's, here's how she opens the preface of this uh, devotional book. She said this, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed He was saying, which is already dangerous. I felt awkward the first time I tried this, which is probably the right, which was probably she was on to something. I felt awkward the first time I tried this, but I received a message. This new way of communicating with God became the high point of my day. I knew these writings were not inspired as Scripture is. Well, why not? If God is speaking to you, if God is speaking to you, then why aren't they inspired as Scripture is? Why wouldn't they be if they are from God? Now, you better put your money where your mouth is. I knew that these writings were not inspired as Scripture is, but they were helping me grow closer to God. In other words, I'm at the center, right? So what I feel is it's helping me. Who can, who can say that this is not of God? It's helping me. I have continued to receive personal messages from God as I meditate on Him. Friends, I have no doubt that the Lord moves and leads. But He does so according to His Word. And He has not anywhere in Scripture given us confidence that this is how it happens. I want to read one thing to you from um, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews... 1 1 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Jesus' coming into the world signaled a a moment in history where things were, be, were being finalized. When he ascended into heaven, when he said those three words, which is just one word in Greek, it is finished, and then we close the canon of Scripture, we see that we, be, we have contained in the Scriptures everything that we need. We don't have to look for any new words. Here's what we should remember. Number one, God is fully capable of revealing to us how He wants us to relate to Him. And I believe He's done this. He's done this in the Scriptures. And nowhere in the Bible does He give us the expectation that we should receive personal messages from Him. Indeed, God told me has often gotten the blame for I wanted to. Right? Secondly, we are broken sinners. We should be very wary of what we feel God might be saying. Even though God is fully capable of giving us a word or leading us if He pleases, this doesn't somehow take our Genesis 3 ability to mishear or misinterpret away. So we need to walk very carefully. We need to be, we need to be making sure that we are in community with other believers. If you believe that God is leading you in a certain direction, if you believe God is telling you to do something, you need to be in conversation with other uh, solid believers who can help you test the Spirit's who can help you determine, are you about to do something terrible or are you about to actually obey God and follow Him? We need to come to Him with this kind of humility that we know we have an incredible capacity to mishear or to misinterpret. Number three, the desire to look outside the Scriptures for some kind of source of intimacy with God is an interesting thing in itself. 
What does it suggest when we think that a more true or a more powerful experience with God might be found outside of His revelation to us? It suggests in most cases that we believe deep down that the Scriptures are not enough. Friends, the Scriptures are enough. And I would suggest to you, I would suggest to you, we can spend the rest of our lives and not fully understand the letter to the Philippians much less the rest of the Bible. We have plenty of material here to sink our our teeth into without going elsewhere, without wandering into these strange experiences. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up. That's, that, that is how it always happens, isn't it? I have a word from the Lord. I must be someone special. I have a special relationship with God that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Indeed, this is what it typically does. But here's a final word. It's possible for you to disagree. This is an open-handed issue. I've tried to make a case tonight because I think there are dire dangers of of, of, of the, the, the sufficiency of Scripture being challenged today in our culture and in our churches. But even if you disagree, hear what we can know from the Scriptures. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We have Jeremiah 17 hearts. We have Genesis 3 hearts. Friends, we have to be wary because whatever the heart desires, the mind can justify. Whatever the heart desires, the mind can even think this might be from God. Revelation 22:18 says this. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the book of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's how the Bible closes. In the last three or four verses of the whole Bible, it says, don't add to it. Don't add to it. So even if you disagree with the above, the following is at least a biblical non-negotiable. The priority of the Scriptures. In other words, God gives us the expectation in the Old and New Testaments that His Word is what we need to be looking for to know Him and to commune with Him. Right? we will scarcely scratch the surface of even the Scriptures. We just talked about last week how the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You can read 1 Thessalonians tonight, and you can read 1 Thessalonians tomorrow night and have a completely different experience of what God is communicating. Now, he's, I believe He's communicating the same thing, but we are dull. We see through a glass dimly. We're always growing. We're always learning. We're always coming to a, a greater knowledge of who He is. We will scarcely ever scratch the surface of the Scriptures, and I would say that most believers would do really well just to give their time and their lives to the Bible, believing that it is enough. Why go elsewhere? Secondly, the command to verify everything biblically. Acts 17, 11, remember what the Bereans did? When even Paul was teaching to them, what did it say? They searched the Scriptures to verify what Paul was saying. So friends, I'm never going to come to you telling you that I have a word from the Lord and you just need to submit and you just need to listen. What I will tell you is, this is what I believe 
This is what I believe that the Bible is teaching. And I'm going to ask you to look in your Bibles to see also if you are seeing the same thing. We need to be Bereans. Our impressions must be tested. And then lastly, the warning uh, about our own propensity to get things wrong. We do see through a glass dimly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and I'll leave off here. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I, now I know in part, but then, he's talking about the future day, but then one day I shall know fully, even as I have been known. Friends, let's walk carefully, let's walk wisely, and let's be the people who live our days believing that the Word of God is enough.